We're going to start a new series out of the book of 1 Peter. And I've been trying to discern what to book to get into. And, and I think it's very important that we get into books of the Bible and we digest uh, and understand the idea in which God had in mind when He gave us the Bible and gave us these letters. And there is much that, in fact, that has been sung about this morning that really is in keeping with what First Peter uh, presents and gives us. And I, I, I believe this journey will be a, a great journey, and I look forward to uh, just what God's going to do in my own heart. Uh, I was telling Brother Davison, reading through and reading the, the, these books is so different than when you actually get into it and, and preach it for some reason. And um, did you find that to be true, Brother Brock? Uh, I, I just, I can't, I, I think I have in my mind what it'll be like when I get into it, every one of them. It's just different. And uh, so reading it and studying it is different. Um, studying it is different than just reading it. And then uh, preaching it, it, it just, it, I guess what I'm saying is you internalize it more. It gets a little bit deeper. And so what I always think, hey, this might be good well, it tends not to just be good. It tends to be pretty, um, uh, it's, it's holy ground when God meets with you. And, and I look forward to God doing that. And, uh, and we're going to go through this. Only five chapters. I think you can get very familiar with it. And I've got about 16 messages that I've outlined for this that I think will, and that's always um, can change and but just looking at the thoughts, the thoughts that are there. But this morning, really, all I want to do is introduce us to the book. And so I, I'm going to endeavor so that it doesn't sound like a, a classroom setting, but I want to introduce us to it, and then we'll get into it beginning next Sunday. But I want to whet your appetite, uh, and I'm not good at doing that, but I think taste and see that the Lord is good. He can do that, and I just want to kind of open up First Peter a little bit to us. So let's stand and we'll read these first two verses because that's about what we're looking at this morning and then we'll, we'll get into the study in the days ahead. First Peter 1 verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. There's a lot in these two verses. We won't get into this again this morning, but I want us to be introduced to Peter. And so if I just had a title, it's just Introduction to First Peter. Thank you. Please be seated. Since 1996, General Motors has provided a unique feature in their cars known as the OnStar system. The system is widely known, even if you're, you don't drive um, a GMC, but you see it perhaps in commercials and other advertisements. 
And it's designed to assist drivers in numerous ways. For instance, it helps to unlock a car that's been locked. And the Ingram household is very thankful for that. It provides directions to restaurants or hotels. But I'm thankful that we have the phones who do a better job of that. It helps in calling for emergency services in case of an accident. Even checks email or stock quotes. Of course, a lot of this was the, the selling features before the smartphones. According to HowStuffWorks.com, more than 4 million, this, was, this is a little bit dated, uh, people use the OnStar network. This system is made up of several components, including buttons on the rearview mirror, a GPS antenna, a cell phone antenna, sensors on the airbags, door locks, and a computer under the hood that controls everything. OnStar continually receives signals from GPS satellites to determine the car's location so that in an emergency, you can press the OnStar button inside your car and the system will automatically call you if your airbags deploy or if your kids press the button. The computer under the hood uses the cell phone antenna to communicate the car's location to OnStar, providing drivers with an easy, quick way to get help in an emergency. You know, just as in society, so it is within the Christian life, navigating through this life, we're in need of emergency assistance. We're in need of direction. We're in need of help. And I think we find here in 1 Peter, Peter helping, writing to Christians. And this would be known as a circular letter, that it wasn't just for a particular church, but it was a letter that was to be passed around and one that, that would help far more than what a GPS kind of a system could provide. In Peter's day, and so it is in ours, that there's much persecution, tribulation, and injustice that's aimed at the body of Christ. Christians were under severe persecution when this letter was written. Tacitus, a second century Roman historian who disliked Christians, he recorded that Nero burned Christians alive, listen, to light his gardens, and he fed them to wild animals for entertainment. Now you think we live in a civilized society, but we're quickly heading back to that. Just by the very videos that circulate today. Deadly persecution was a horrible reality for the early church. So Peter wrote to encourage believers with the hope of an internal, eternal inheritance. That's what he talks about in verses four through six of chapter number one. So he urged God's people to follow Christ's example. And we find that in chapter three and verse 18. He speaks of how Christ experienced hardship, suffering, threatenings. And so he's encouraging God's people to emulate Christ. They could consider it a great honor if they were called to suffer on Christ's behalf. That's chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. And he encouraged them to return good for evil. 
to bring honor to God in their life, whether it be by life or whether it be by their death. And Peter is assuring God's people that justice would come at God's hand, chapter 4 and verse 5, and heavenly reward is certain for Christians who endure injustice here upon earth. And so he's going to, we're going to see, he's reminding them of a, an eternal perspective, an eternal inheritance. Why? Well, because we get so bogged down with the minutia of the daily details that we forget the big picture. What's the big picture? God. Just imagine first grader, we've got a first grader, who comes home, we got two first graders, and they come home and they say, I quit. It's too hard. Hard stuff. We, we, have, to, we have to add, and we, we've got to subtract, and we, we've got to write, and, and, and we, have, we have time to, to do these things and time that we can't. It's just too hard. We quit. And all of us would do just like you just did. You chuckle. First grade, it's, it's so cute. But how do you look at your situations? God is, is, is more empathetic than, than we are. Miss Chris just saying that if it matters to you, it does matter to him. And the things that may trouble a first grader may not really trouble you. But what you and I go through, it does matter to God. But I wonder if when you're telling God you're not enough, or you're not going to say that so much with your words probably, but we do when we're not treating Him and going to Him like He's enough, or when we're telling God we quit, you're not going to quite say that, but you're going to say that by not persevering, by not being steadfast, by not growing. And so I wonder if God would listen to us and do the same thing you did in response to the first grader. Would God chuckle at you as well? God, you don't know what I'm going through. I just lost the dearest person to me. And God chuckles. It's not that big a deal. You have something far greater. God, I lost my job. I've lost my health. I've lost everything. Would God say, really? How do you define everything? Didn't we talk about that Wednesday night? See, it matters to him, but it doesn't mean he agrees with us. No, he's God. And so Peter's trying to let God's people know eternal perspective. In other words, who you are is not defined by today. Who you are is defined by what he says. And you can't lose sight of this. The powerful promise to God's people of any generation is remain obedient despite persecution and trouble. And God will reward you according to your faithfulness. He never said that you and I should strive to be great and famous. He just said good and faithful. 
Peter wrote to encourage weary, hurting people to stand firmly on God's promises and remain faithful to the end. Why? Because great is thy faithfulness. I'm saying he's writing to people who knew that God's people, because of their testimony, because of their membership, they were being torched alive and being used as human lanterns and being used as sport and entertainment to watch them be eaten like mice before a hungry cat. And Peter's saying, don't get weary. It doesn't end with your last breath. There's still God. While the suffering of God's saints, it makes up a sizable portion of Peter's letter. Don't miss what Peter is ultimately saying. And many commentators would say that this is all about suffering and it's all about suffering and it's all about suffering. No, no, it's not. It's all about the victorious Lord Jesus Christ and how you can go through any kind of suffering with the inheritance that is found in Jesus. Oh, so let's uh, just let's do a flyover, can we? Who wrote this book? 1 Peter 1, verse 1, first word. I love it. Peter. That's the kind of test I like. I don't like those where you've got to hunt throughout it. And um, the teacher asks a question that's not really formed in the, in the book in which I'm reading. And, but this one it is. Who wrote the book? Peter. Love it. Peter wrote two letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. He was the disciple of Jesus. He was one of the intimate three. Simon, whom Jesus named Peter. Peter, James, and John with those three. What do we know about Peter? Well, he was a businessman. He was a fisherman. Um, it, it, this wasn't a hobby. This was his livelihood. He was skilled. He was skilled. He became a disciple through the witness of his own brother. Hey, some of you have family members you're praying for. Don't stop praying. Don't stop witnessing to them. There was one who found his brother and Peter. I'm glad that Peter listened to his brother. Some wouldn't listen to you maybe. It does matter. Experience God. Walk with God so that your lost family would listen. The Lord gave um, Peter his name. And there's references up there if you want to jot these down just so you can know some things about him. He was one of the three, as I mentioned, who formed an inner circle around Jesus. And, and in keeping with this morning's Sunday school, Peter, James, and John, they were not the trio that, that only Jesus picked out. No, they were the trio that decided to get closer to Jesus. It could have been a trio. Um, I mean, it could have been a, an intimate group of 11. It could have been a group of 12 had they gotten there. So in other words, we're as close to him as we want to be. Uh, he was the leader of the 12 apostles. He publicly denied Christ at the crucifixion, but he repented bitterly later. He had a private interview with the risen Lord, which deeply affected him. He was filled with God's Spirit on the day of Pentecost and he immediately became the leader of the early church. 
God chose him to become the missionary apostle apostle to the circumcision, that is the Jews of the scattered group all over the world. Over time, he traveled farther and farther away from his home base. And according to tradition, he was crucified head downward in Rome under Nero. Now, scholars believe this book was written around A.D. 64, and you can give or take a year there, but history tells us that Rome was burned in the summer of that year. And those of you who remember your history remember that it was Christians who were blamed for that arson. And that Peter perhaps was referencing Rome's burning when he spoke of the fiery trials that come upon God's people in chapter 4 and verse 12. But the Roman emperor Nero placed a tremendous amount of pressure on Christians during this time period. Listen, our society, our government, our culture is not going to care that you mention Christ, that you uh, go to church as long as you don't interfere with their plans. In fact, it's not our plans. It's God's plan that we're about. First Peter's written probably from Rome it's a cryptic reference to Rome in chapter 5 and verse 13. And just give you, I think Warren Wearsby does a good job at making this concise. He gives subpoints. I want you to see an outline here. And I'm going to, however, break it down into 16. I'll give you a different outline as we go through it in, in weeks to come. But Warren Wiersbe points out the emphasis of God's grace. And so he talks about God's grace and salvation in chapter 1 through chapter 2. God's grace and submission, chapter 2 through 3. And there he, he talks about the home and the significance that submission plays there. And then chapter 3, God's grace and suffering in chapter 3 through 5. As Mrs. Johnson was playing the offertory, I wrote the words down that were upon the screen of "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," the phrase, "'Oh, for grace to trust Him more.'" It's about God's grace, His enabling grace, and we'll see that in the weeks to come. Peter writes to this frightened, persecuted people of God to answer their questions, including questions that they may not have even realized they were asking. He talks about the matter of salvation in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And he gets to the significant issue early on by um, really talking about these eternal salvation. And, and he gets into some of the theological mainstays of the Christian life, faith and hope and love and and we'll walk through that. But he also gets into the matter of the scriptures and Chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. This re revealed truth that God's given to us. This salvation has been given to us through God's revealed word. And, and then he gets into the matter of sanctification. 
That's verse 13 through 25. What is that? Well, that's holy Christian living. He explains what a godly Christian life involves. That our focus is on being holy, set apart unto God. What is a marriage? It's, it's holiness. Holiness in the sense of it's set apartness. One man is set apart from every other woman for one woman. One woman is set apart from every other man for one man. It's set apartness. And, and when we got married to Christ, when we got saved, we're being sanctified and set apart from something for someone. And then it's the matter of separation in chapter 2. Holiness includes not only living righteously, but also living removed as much as possible from the sources of corruption. And for this reason, Christians separate themselves from ungodly influences. Separation applies to the Christian's birth. That's in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Our belief, verses 4 through 10 of chapter 2. Our behavior, verse 11 through 12. You said I didn't get all that. You'll get it again. He deals with the matter of submission in chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3 and verse 13. See, submission applies to every sphere of the believer's life. Personal, social, vocational, political, spiritual. It, it applies to every aspect of our life. Every aspect. Our example in humble submission is Christ himself. Watch some of the kids in the school. An older kid, elementary kid, says to another elementary kid, you're not my boss. You don't tell me what to do. I thought, well, they need a dose of First Peter. Yeah. Because God's people living the Spirit-filled life will be sweetly submissive one to another. If only you're going by the title of somebody else or the age or the rank of somebody else, well, then we're just acting like unsaved people. I said we're acting just like unsaved people then. He gets into the matter of suffering in chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 19. He's going to make this clear, but you know this, but it's good for us to be reminded of this, that no Christian, no Christian, no Christian is exempt from suffering. We experience suffering. God is exemplified through suffering, and therefore we must expect suffering. He gets into chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the matter of shepherding. Peter explains the role of pastoral leadership within the church, the shepherd of a local church, how they should represent Christ, the good shepherd, to the people, and how a pastor's role is to serve and, and the people, serve the people and do so in love. And then he gets, at the end of the book in chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, he deals with the matter of Satan. While Christians face suffering, we have another burden to deal with. Our enemy. God's enemy. The devil. And he exposes the enemy of every believer. Public enemy number one. And he shows us how to gain victory over his schemes. We must never underestimate Satan's power. 
But he does highlight for us that we can trust in God's greater power to perfect us and strengthen us. And then Peter wraps up the letter offering personal greetings to individual believers and leaves them with words of encouragement. And I think there's a whole other dynamic in those two verses, verses 12 through 14. Now, Peter deals with suffering. It highlights grace. And one of the things that he gets into in the very first chapter even is the matter of hope. 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 He wants the people of God who have no hope to get back to having hope. No Christian is to live life hopelessly. We can have a hope when our hope is in the God of the resurrection. Hope. And it's a hope filled book designed that God's people may once again thrive, not just survive, but thrive in hope in a very hostile world. For many of God's people, it's becoming more difficult to believe in an altogether good and an infinitely powerful God. And that's the way people look at it. It's just hard. It's hard to believe God. For many people, they think the pain and misery of living. It, it, it camouflages any hope that one can find in God and the God of the Bible. And so many people, many of God's people wonder why God makes it so difficult to see his presence and to see his plan. Theologians refer to this as the hiddenness of God. Skeptics use stronger terms referring to God as the God who has abandoned his people and left us with no visible sign of his existence. Many of us wish that God was more like an OnStar system. That every time we push the button, He responds. Whatever life brings us, wherever life takes us, we like to know that God is near to assist us in emergencies. We like for Him to make His presence more visible. As we grapple with difficulties in life, we, we think that God should, if he's really there and caring, that he'll jump in and keep us from going through some of the stuff. We want God to be present at the push of a button. So over the next several months, we're going to examine the words of Peter. These words are in the first letter of, uh, of these two letters that we have recorded for us here in 1 Peter, to help us see that God is far greater than any man-made system and He's far more nearer than anything we could ever experience. Remember, Peter's writing to Christian believers scattered. Many of God's people may be hunkered down here in the Covington area, but in your heart you're scattered. Peter's writing to those scattered throughout what is today modern day Turkey. He writes to encourage them because they're experiencing the world's hatred and, and, and new believers with a newfound faith and they're experiencing challenges and hostility and they're experiencing this is not easy and, and we've talked, some of the men have been burdened about those that they've that they've led to the Lord and those that they're working with, new Christians who, who are excited because when they first get saved, they think, I'm not going to struggle and there's not going to be any problems. 
And it's just a honeymoon relationship with God. Well, Peter tries to get us to see, as well as those 2,000 years ago, that it's better than a honeymoon situation. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through fire. You're going to go through suffering. But you're not going to go through it alone. You're going to go through one who says that he is God and nothing is too hard for him. And he's never let one of his children, he's never let one of his people, he's never let one of his prized possession who's been purchased by his blood ever slip through his fingers. Christians today, they're just wanting to know where God is when they struggle. And Peter wants you to know that. When the ninth month of pregnancy begins and you find the news of a stillborn infant rather than the joyful arrival of a brand new baby. When the new business brings bankruptcy rather than financial rewards. When the doctor tells you it's worst case scenario. Peter writes this letter to tell us that God is sovereign. And where God is sovereign, everything, and he means everything, will work out for his purpose. Everything is worked out according to God's eternal plan. Don't forget Wednesday night. We live in a fallen society. Therefore, people do things to you. Things will happen to you. That's not your choice that you did nothing to deserve. But we live in a fallen society. But we live in a free society where people choose and they make their choices. And sometimes you will suffer consequences made by the decisions of someone else. We gave the example of a drunk driver gets into a vehicle, going down the road, goes into the other lane, hits an innocent victim. They were a victim of the consequences of someone else's free choice. What does that say about God? That doesn't say a whole lot about God, but the Bible says that God is God, which means that there's nothing that's taken God by surprise and there's nothing that happens to you, but what God is still God. He can prevent it. He can keep it from happening. But if he allows it, he knows something that we could never fully understand on this side of heaven. And when that first grader says, I don't think I need to do this. I don't want to do this. I'd rather go and have my snack rather than go to school. And we chuckle at that because we say, we've been there. You'll make it through. You don't understand it. And God can look down and say, there's not a thing that you and I go through. It's not a heartache. There's not a trial. There's not a tragedy that we can go through. But what our God looks at us and says, I love you more than you'll ever know. And nothing will ever come to you but what I allow. Well, why does he allow it? Ask him when you see him. Ask him. You will know. You will know. And you will worship him because he's God. 
Intense difficulties cause us to forget our destination on the road of life. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God is our refuge and our fortress. It is our shield and it provides us courage and staying power. Listen. Peter wrote to Christians who were scattered and discouraged. We easily lose sight of the glorious inheritance that awaits for us. There's a good deal of sin that exists in our church and churches in general, which is the result of one, Christians being too comfortable in this world, and number two, Christians failing to grasp the eternal hope and the inheritance that awaits us and God's enabling grace to push us on in obedience. The letter of 1 Peter addresses these issues more directly and very succinctly than any other book I believe in the Bible. This letter reminds us that we're pilgrims in this world and it spurs us on to a life of godliness in this world with the coming world in mind. I've never preached through 1 Peter, but I believe this is going to be a great journey for us. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to study it and even attempt to memorize it because it is a powerful book. In this small five-chapter book, it may save you, just like I mentioned in Sunday school, a lot of counseling because it will be your counselor and guide. Let me give you a one-sentence summary of the main idea of 1 Peter, trying to put, put it together in one sentence. Now, it's a run-on sentence, so don't judge me with that. 1 Peter reminds Christians that we are selected by God in a hostile world on a pilgrimage called by God to focus on three relationships. One, with the God who saved us. Two, with the world we are living in. And three, with the brothers and sisters that we pilgrim with in this church. Let's stand together and let me close by saying, I can't read 1 Peter without remembering who wrote it. The transformation in Peter's life is remarkable. It's a magnificent example of God's grace. Remember, the very man who denied the Lord to a servant girl later stood before the religious elite and he proclaimed the gospel with such tremendous courage and tremendous power of the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus transformed Peter so he might use Peter to evangelize the world, he too wants to change each of us. Experiencing God... It can happen going through 1 Peter. Peter's life was forever altered when he died to himself and was made alive in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. This letter, 1 Peter, it portrays mature Christians shortly before their death as he wrote to them to encourage them. I didn't bring the illustration, but I was reading of one of the martyrs. One of the martyrs was going to be put to death, burned the next day. 
It's one thing to read it and, and to look at these people as, but you got to remember they thought the same thing you and I would think. And this particular martyr on the eve of his being burned at the stake wondered whether or not he could truly make it. Well, he knew he wasn't going to survive, but could he make it without losing his testimony? He wondered how could he stand there with the flames burning his body. All he had to do was deny Christ, he would be set free. And so while sitting in his cell, he had a candle and he would take it and put his finger in to see if he could let his finger touch the flame and stay in the flame. Maybe that would help him be able to, to get enough courage to be burned. He put his finger in the flame and he'd pull it out. He couldn't do it. He would try it again and he couldn't do it. Tortured. Tortured in his mind. How am I going to be burned? All he had to do was denounce his love for Jesus. He would be set free. Don't forget that 1 Peter is about suffering, but ultimately it's about the victory that is found in Jesus through the grace of God. And that martyr got a hold by a fresh revelation of Jesus in that cell. God's grace. Great grace. Marvelous grace. God's grace enabled him to be what he was to be and do what he was to do. And he was able to stand without having to be tied. And he died for the one who died and rose for him. I haven't gone through anything like that. But there are little things that I go through. Little things you may say kind of look like what a first grader may go through. But if it matters to me, it does matter to the master. And he wants you not to give up. He wants you to know how to live in this hostile world. How to experience him. How to interact with those who don't know him. And how to journey with other pilgrims as we are endeavoring to experience God together. Lord, thank you for what you have in store. Help us, I pray. don't even know quite how to do an invitation with this, but I just believe we always ought to because you're the one who gives the invitation ultimately. So we just want to trust you and obey. Thank you for loving us and having, having your eye upon us, never, never failing to be available. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being my shepherd. And I pray that you would do a reviving, refreshing work in your people. As the piano plays, I just invite, if God's spoken to your heart, you need to meet with him. Just take a moment and